Chapter Ten of the Life and Adventures of Sir Launcelot Greaves. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life and Adventures of Sir Launcelot Greaves by Tobias Smollett chapter ten which showeth that he who plays at bowls will sometimes meet with rubbers sir launcelot boiling with indignation at the venality and faction of the electors whom he had harangued to so little purpose retired with the most deliberate disdain towards one of the gates of the town on the outside of which his curiosity was attracted by a concourse of people in the midst of whom stood mr ferret mounted upon a stool with a kind of satchel hanging round his neck and a file displayed in his right hand while he held forth to the audience in a very vehement strain of elocution crabshaw thought himself happily delivered when he reached the suburbs and proceeded without halting but his master mingled with the crowd and heard the orator express himself to this effect very likely you may undervalue me and my medicine because i don't appear upon a stage of rotten boards in a shabby velvet coat and tie periwig with a foolish fellow in a motley coat to make you laugh by making wry faces but i scorn to use these dirty arts for engaging your attention these paltry tricks ad captandum vulgus can have no effect but on idiots and if you are idiots i don't desire you should be my customers take notice i don't address you in the style of a mountebank or a high german doctor and yet the kingdom is full of mountebanks empirics and quacks we have quacks in religion quacks in physic quacks in law quacks in politics quacks in patriotism quacks in government high german quacks that have blistered sweated bled and purged the nation into an atrophy but this is not all they have not only evacuated her into a consumption but they have intoxicated her brain until she has become delirious she can no longer pursue her own interest or indeed rightly distinguish it like the people of nineveh she can hardly tell her right hand from her left but as a changeling is dazzled and delighted by an ignis fatuus a will-o'-the-wisp an exhalation from the vilest materials in nature that leads her astray through westphalian bogs and deserts and will one day break her neck over some barren rocks or leave her sticking in some hayen pit or quagmire for my part if you have a mind to betray your country i have no objection in selling yourselves and your fellow-citizens you only dispose of a pack of rascals who deserve to be sold if you sell one another why should not i sell this here lixer of long life which if properly used will protract your days till you shall have seen your country ruined i shall not pretend to disturb your understandings which are none of the strongest with a hotchpotch of unintelligible terms such as aristotle's four principles of generation unformed matter privation efficient and final causes aristotle was a pedantic blockhead and still more knave than fool 
the same censure we may safely put on that wiseacre dioscorides with his faculties of simples his seminal specific and principal virtues and that crazy commentator galen with his four elements elementary qualities his eight complexions his harmonies and discords nor shall i expatiate on the alcahest of that mad scoundrel paracelsus with which he pretended to reduce flints into salt nor archaeus or spiritus rector of that visionary van helmont his simple elementary water his gas ferments and transmutations nor shall i enlarge upon the salt sulphur and oil the acidum wagum the mercury of metals and the volatilized vitriol of other modern chemists a pack of ignorant conceited knavish rascals that puzzle your weak heads with such jargon just as a germanized murrar throws dust in your eyes by lugging in and wringing the changes on the balance of power the protestant religion and your allies on the continent acting like the juggler who picks your pockets while he dazzles your eyes and amuses your fancy with twirling his fingers and reciting the gibberish of hocus-pocus for in fact the balance of power is a mere chimera as for the protestant religion nobody gives himself any trouble about it and allies on the continent we have none or at least none that would raise an hundred men to save us from perdition unless we paid an extravagant price for their assistance but to return to this here elixir of long life i might embellish it with a great many high-sounding epithets but i disdain to follow the example of every illiterate vagabond that from idleness turns quack and advertises his nostrum in the public papers i am neither a felonious dry salter returned from exile an hospital stump turner a decayed stay-maker a bankrupt printer or insolvent debtor released by act of parliament i do not pretend to administer medicines without the least tincture of letters or suborn wretches to perjure themselves in false affidavits of cures that were never performed nor employ a set of lead captains to harangue in my praise at all public places i was bred regularly to the profession of chemistry and have tried all the processes of alchemy and i may venture to say that this here elixir is in fact the crucian Purpuromenon ex purus the visible glorious spiritual body from whence all other beings derive their existence as proceeding from their father the sun and their mother the moon from the sun as from a living and spiritual gold which is mere fire consequently the common and universal first created mover from whence all movable things have their distinct and particular motions and also from the moon as from the wife of the sun and the common mother of all sublunary things and forasmuch as man is and must be the comprehensive end of all creatures and the microcosm he is counselled in the revelation to buy gold that is thoroughly fired or rather pure fire that he may become rich and like the sun as on the contrary he becomes poor when he abuses the arsenical poison so that his silver by the fire must be calcined to a caput mortuum which happens when he will hold and retain the menstruum out of which he partly exists for his own property and doth not daily offer up the same in the fire of the sun that the woman may be clothed with the sun and become a sun and thereby rule over the moon that is to say that he may get the moon under his feet 
now this here elixir sold for no more than sixpence a phial contains the essence of the alcahest the archaeus the catholicon the menstruum the sun the moon and to sum up all in one word is the true genuine unadulterated unchangeable immaculate and specific crucian perpurumenum ec puros the audience were variously affected by this learned oration some of those who favoured the pretensions of the whig candidate were of opinion that he ought to be punished for his presumption in reflecting so scurrilously on ministers and measures of this sentiment was our adventurer though he could not help admiring the courage of the orator and owning within himself that he had mixed some melancholy truths with his scurrility mr ferret would not have stood so long in his rostrum unmolested had not he cunningly chosen his station immediately without the jurisdiction of the town whose magistrates therefore could not take cognizance of his conduct but application was made to the constable of the other parish while our nostrum monger proceeded in his speech the conclusion of which produced such an effect upon his hearers that his whole cargo was immediately exhausted he had just stepped down from his stool when the constable with his staff arrived and took him under his guidance mr ferret on this occasion attempted to interest the people in his behalf by exhorting them to vindicate the liberty of the subject against such an act of oppression but finding them deaf to the tropes and figures of his elocution he addressed himself to our knight reminding him of his duty to protect the helpless and the injured and earnestly soliciting his interposition sir launcelot without making the least reply to his entreaties resolved to see the end of this adventure and being joined by his squire followed the prisoner at a distance measuring back the ground he had travelled the day before until he reached another small borough where ferret was housed in the common prison while he sat a horseback deliberating on the next step he should take he was accosted by the voice of tom clark who called in a whimpering tone through a window grated with iron for the love of god sir launcelot do dear sir be so good as to take the trouble to alight and come upstairs i have something to communicate of consequence to the community in general and you in particular pray do dear sir knight i beg a boon in the name of st michael and st george for england our adventurer not a little surprised at this address dismounted without hesitation and being admitted to the common jail there found not only his old friend tom but also the uncle sitting on a bench with a woollen nightcap on his head and a pair of spectacles on his nose reading very earnestly in a book which he afterwards understood was entitled the life and adventures of valentine and orson the captain no sooner saw his great pattern enter than he rose and received him with the salutation of what cheer brother and before the knight could answer added these words you see how the land lies here have tom and i been fast ashore these four-and-twenty hours and this berth we have got by attempting to tow your galley brother from the enemy's harbour adds bobs if we had this here fellow woeason for a concert with all our tackle in order brother we'd soon show em the topsail slip our cable and down with their barricados but howsomever it don't signify talking patience is a good stream anchor and will hold as the saying is but d m nians for the matter of my bolts 
desperate hawkeye hawkeye brother dee hard to engage with three at a time one upon my bow one upon my quarter and one right ahead rubbing and drubbing lying athwart hawse raking fore and aft battering and grappling and lashing and clashing adds heart brother crash went the bolt sprit down came the round top up with the dead lights i saw nothing but the stars at noon lost the helm of my seven senses and down i broached upon my broadside as mr clark rightly conceived that his uncle would need an interpreter he began to explain these hints by giving a circumstantial detail of his own and the captain's disaster he told sir launcelot that notwithstanding all his persuasion and remonstrances captain crow insisted upon appearing in the character of a knight-errant and with that view had set out from the public-house on the morning that succeeded his vigil in the church that upon the highway they had met with a coach containing two ladies one of whom seemed to be under great agitation for as they passed she struggled with the other thrust out her head at the window and said something which he could not distinctly hear that captain crow was struck with admiration of her unequal beauty and he tom no sooner informed him who she was than he resolved to set her at liberty on the supposition that she was under restraint and in distress that he accordingly unsheathed his cutlass and riding after the coach commanded the driver to bring two on pain of death that one of the servants believing the captain to be a highwayman presented a blunderbuss and in all probability would have shot him on the spot had not he the nephew rode up and assured them the gentleman was known compost that notwithstanding his intimation all the three attacked him with the butt-ends of their horsewhips while the coach drove on and although he laid about him with great fury at last brought him to the ground by a stroke on the temple that mr clark himself then interposed in defence of his kinsman and was also severely beaten that two of the servants upon application to a justice of the peace residing near the field of battle had granted a warrant against the captain and his nephew and without examination committed them as idle vagrants after having seized their horses and their money on pretence of their being suspected for highwaymen but as there was no just cause of suspicion added he i am of opinion the justice is guilty of a trespass and may be sued for falsum imprisonamentum and considerable damage is obtained for you will please to observe sir no justice has a right to commit any person till after due examination besides we were not committed for an assault and battery audita querula nor as wandering lunatics by the statute who to be sure may be apprehended by a justice's warrant and locked up and chained if necessary or to be sent to their last legal settlement but we were committed as vagrants and suspected highwaymen now we do not fall under the description of vagrants nor did any circumstance appear to support the suspicion of robbery for to constitute robbery there must be something taken but here nothing was taken but blows and they were upon compulsion even an attempt to rob without any taking is not felony but a misdemeanor to be sure there is a taking in deed and a taking in law but still the robber must be in possession of a thing stolen and we attempted to steal ourselves away my uncle indeed would have released the young lady 
we at armis had his strength been equal to his inclination and in so doing i would have willingly lent my assistance both from a desire to serve such a beautiful young creature and also in regard to your honour for i thought i heard her call upon your name ha how what whose name say speak heaven and earth cried the knight with marks of the most violent emotion clark terrified at his looks replied i beg your pardon a thousand times i did not say positively she did speak those words but i apprehended she did speak them words which may be taken or interpreted by law in a general or common sense ought not to receive a strained or unusual construction and ambiguous words speak or be dumb for ever exclaimed sir launcelot in a terrific tone laying his hand on his sword what young lady ha what name did she call upon clark falling on his knees answered not without stammering miss aurelia darnell to the best of my recollection she called upon sir launcelot greaves sacred powers cried our adventurer which way did the carriage proceed when tom told him that the coach quitted the post-road and struck away to the right at full speed sir launcelot was seized with a pensive fit his head sunk upon his breast and he mused in silence for several minutes with the most melancholy expression on his countenance then recollecting himself he assumed a more composed and cheerful air and asked several questions with respect to the arms on the coach and the liveries worn by the servants it was in the course of this interrogation that he discovered he had actually conversed with one of the footmen who had brought back crabshaw's horse a circumstance that filled him with anxiety and chagrin as he had omitted to inquire the name of his master and the place to which the coach was travelling though in all probability had he made these inquiries he would have received very little satisfaction there being reason to think the servants were enjoined secrecy the knight in order to meditate on this unexpected adventure sat down by his old friend and entered into a reverie which lasted about a quarter of an hour and might have continued longer had it not been interrupted by the voice of crabshaw who bawled aloud look to it my masters as you brew you must drink this shall be a dear day's work to some of you for my part i say nothing the braying ass eats little grass one barber shaves not so close but another finds a few stubble you wanted to catch a capon and you've stole a cat he that takes up his lodgings in a stable must be contented to lie upon litter the knight desirous of knowing the cause that prompted timothy to apothematize in this manner looked through the grate and perceived the squire fairly set in the stocks surrounded by a mob of people when he called to him and asked the reason of this disgraceful restraint crabshaw replied there's no cake but there's another of the same make who never climbed never fell after clouds comes clear weather tis all along of your honour i've met with this preferment no deservings of my own but the interest of my master sir knight if you will slay the justice hang the constable release your squire and burn the town your name will be famous in story but if you are content i am thankful two hours are soon spent in such good company in the meantime look to un jailer there's a frog in the stocks 
sir launcelot incensed at this affront offered to his servant advanced to the prison door but found it fast locked and when he called to the turnkey he was given to understand that he himself was prisoner enraged at this intimation he demanded at whose suit and was answered through the wicket at the suit of the king in whose name i will hold you fast with god's assistance the knight's looks now began to lighten he rolled his eyes around and snatching up an oaken bench which three ordinary men could scarce have lifted from the ground he in all likelihood would have shattered the door in pieces had not he been restrained by the interposition of mr clark who entreated him to have a little patience assuring him he would suggest a plan that would avenge himself amply on the justice without any breach of the peace i say the justice added tom because it must be his doing he is a little petulant sort of a fellow ignorant of the law guilty of numberless irregularities and if properly managed may for this here act of arbitrary power be not only cast in a swinging sum but even turned out of the commission with disgrace this was a very seasonable hint in consequence of which the bench was softly replaced and captain crow deposited the poker with which he had armed himself to second the efforts of sir launcelot they now for the first time perceived that ferret had disappeared and upon inquiry found that he was in fact the occasion of the knight's detention and the squire's disgrace End of chapter ten